Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 251 for Monday, June 26th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixarus, and joining me as always is a summary, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am summary and simmery because of all the cooking outside, uh, the hiking outside that we've been doing, as well as uh, when it rains, you've got to go inside and watch some movies and maybe even some stuff on streaming. Now, all of those things are the topics of The Render Distance this week, which is the extended version of the podcast. You can get access to that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. The people that support the podcast get extra content every single week. This month, we are coming up on the Minecraft Hangout, which is also a benefit to our patrons live in the Discord this Friday, June 30th at 10 a.m. Atlantic. That's UTC minus three hours. I believe that's 2 p.m. in the UK. We'll be hanging out with our patrons and talking about what they've been building in Minecraft. Going to be exciting because this is the first Minecraft Hangout that we've had since the release of Trails and Tales. So I'm expecting a lot of pink. I don't know about you, Johnny, but I think there's (laughs) going to be a lot of pink. Yeah, just based on the activity I've seen from other folks online, yeah, a lot of people very excited about Cherrywood, which is a good thing. So are we. Um, and you are in a better position to be excited about Cherrywood than you ever were because you now have access to it, right? The Citadel is now on 1.20. How are you finding it? Uh, good, actually, yeah. Uh, we we updated on schedule. I, I did the whole Wednesday into Thursday update. It took longer than I expected, uh, but that was because of um, some technical stuff on my end that I had to had to sort out. And uh, I was able to get it up and running for my Thursday stream. And the first thing that I did was I went out and I went looking for a cherry grove. I just thought, you know, I need a break from West Hill. We're going to go out and, and walk around. Uh, and that was the the mission critical was just to try to find one for two, for two reasons. One, I wanted to get some cherry wood. You know, you want to get wood, saplings, some leaves, um, some pink petals, and just kind of set yourself up for like, if you need more of this, then you have access to it. But I also wanted to locate um, a couple of large cherry biomes if I could, because a couple of people on the server want to either build in one or, you know, build near one in the same way that you're doing on the um, on their survival guide sure. for, for Minecraft 1.20. And so I went out and I did that. Now, in essence of time, I used chunk base to locate the biomes, not necessarily their exact location, but like with the citadel because it's such an old server the overworld was generated in 1.12 so that we've done a couple of chunk trims the biggest of which of course happened when we updated to caves and cliffs but since then people have been traveling around which means that where there might be a cherry grove as long as somebody hasn't been there there will be but if Mm -hmm. someone's been there recently then there won't be and so i just kind of like looked at chunk base and said okay it looks like there's enough cherry groves happening in the i think it was the southwest of the server so i just traveled to the modern city which is south and started hitting west in just like a general flight pattern and and found some stuff pretty pretty easily and to me i think they happen frequent enough that i don't think you're going to be really traveling for miles and miles and miles without finding one in the same way that people sometimes travel without finding a desert or a badlands i feel like uh these are a lot more frequent now finding a nice one will be trickier i yeah some of the ones that we found were one was cool it was there was a village that it kind of like happened in it so like a village in a cherry grove absolutely overlapped and that was really cool to see uh, but it wasn't very big and um the other thing was that uh a lot of the like there's a cherry uh, grove biome like right next to a savanna and that looked really out of place <laughs> so there's there's a couple of things like that like not all of them are big enough to be like i want to build next to this um some of them are and then other times it's just that they're always on a hill 
And it seems like they're always separate from other things. So like sometimes you kind of want to see what a cherry grove would look like next to a flower forest or next to, you know, like a dark oak forest or something like that. And you don't tend to get that because the way that cherry groves um, generate, they tend to be up high and they tend to be um, separated by a river because that's usually what Mojang uses to separate mountains from surrounding countryside. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there tends to be more, a little bit more of a separation there, but they're very pretty to walk around in. Um, so yeah. the, I found one and the first thing I did was chop it down. So I took about an hour and a half, an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And I, and I chopped it down. Uh, and, uh, you get a lot of saplings. Uh, it was, it was great. Like I really, I really enjoyed that experience. And, and I think that once you've found one, you wouldn't even have to destroy the whole thing, chop down one or two trees and you're going to have more than enough to get back to your own, you know, base. If all you're interested in is just the wood, then you'll be able to recreate it and, and farm it, you know, no problem. Yeah. Um, and the, the trees grow with that many leaves. Like, especially if you, if you regrow mm -hmm. them, you typically get one that has multiple branches. The trunk kind of splits in two. And then the canopy of leaves from that is enough to get you like 16 saplings back a lot of the time. So you, you usually manage. And like you, I, I have a similar kind of experience with cherry groves where obviously I have one on my home mountain, but it's just like a dusting of cherry trees along the ridge where there might be meadow biome on the way up the slope towards something else. And the, the nearest other cherry grove to me was sort of in a valley over the hill from where I am. And even that's only got like a handful of trees in it. I took down one, replanted it and then left. But then you'll find some where much like meadow biomes will often generate in those kind of donut shaped mountain ranges where it doesn't get high enough to become a peaks biome, but you still get a high enough terrain that it's a a flowery meadow or something if one of those is a cherry grove they're massive and it's just nice. as far as the eye can see cherry trees that's so cool yeah. you can look for those in chunk base and if you get lucky you find a really picturesque one and that's where you can make your base if you want to really settle down in one of those yeah i i mean i i'm looking forward to exploring more options in, in that kind of realm because of the way that uh i've been so confined to west hill for the longest time and i think yeah. I'm going to be looking around for like this new area that I want to build in on the server when it happens. And so I'm just going to kind of keep my eyes open for, for cool stuff like that. I think a cherry grove near a ravine or like a, a lush cave or something like that would also be really cool. Like you could do all kinds of really interesting combinations of stuff, but I haven't really messed around much with cherry wood. We'll get into that later on in the, in the, the episode. Um, once I had everything though, uh, well, first, as one does, I dropped off a bunch of pink stuff to Cosmic <laughs> because I had gone so far as to find them. I wanted to drop off some some um, stuff to server mates, which is one of the nice things about playing on a server in that um, when you have a bunch of busy adults and somebody is out looking for something and someone else can like drop in Discord like, hey, look, if you have any extra, can I like have some saplings and a couple of, you know, leaves and stuff like that? And sure. just makes, you know, life easier for people that want to mess around with it right away and decide how much of it they want to go out and get all that kind of stuff. So that was fun. Uh, when I got back to West Hill, I did have to finish something that I was working on last week, which was the um, the south side of the uh, the keep going down into the water. So that's now a complete kind of gradient texture and it, it has a lot more life and stuff to it. I have not yet taken the newly found cherry leaves and seen what they look like up against this. I want to do kind of a mix of like vines with flowers and things like that along the south side. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, that's not what I've been focusing on. What I have been focusing on, though, back in West Hill is the use of hanging signs now that I have access to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been combining that 
with the armor statues data pack to create signs that don't have writing on them but have images on them so what i've been doing is uh, i've been taking the items that represent the shops like say a pork chop for the butcher shop or a uh, glowstone dust for the spice merchant candles for the candle shop and i've been putting them on the armor stands and then using the statues data pack to then make the stands invisible and hover these items so that they look like they're painted on the signs and i i know it's not vanilla but my gosh is it a cool effect it really <laughs> reminds me of a cartoony rpg like you're playing like a zelda or you're playing some sort of top down like three-quarter thing and you're trying to figure out what shop is this well the carrot on the sign outside the shop says it's probably a farmer's market or at the very least where you can buy carrots you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and the, the crossed swords i can see you've got that in the screenshot there's like this is clearly the armory or the the ex weapon exactly. smith or whatever right like exactly right so, so easy to mix with the villager professions in minecraft as well which obviously you don't have around west hill but it's still uh nice that you've thrown that in i i want to say before we move on from this at all i love the use of asterisks around some of these to create like little sparky kind of effects the glowstone thanks. one in particular really fun like i like that a lot that's very good thanks yeah i think my favorite is the uh, the apothecary the little um fire resistance potion with some orange asterisks and and hashtags around it just to kind of make it look like it's <laughs> yeah. got magic bits because yeah, you yeah. can use you can use separate of course from from the um armor stand items being hovered at kind of like within the sign to have it look like it's painted on you can still type on the sign and so uh in some cases i've done that where on the smiling goat tavern i've actually got a couple of barrels uh on the sign and then it actually says the smiling goat in like written in text on the sign uh and then i've also got um the the west the west hill inn i think is what i called it that is um got like a feather on it and then it's got some writing on it as well and so i've been able to do like a combination but then on signs where i didn't want any writing like the apothecary i just used symbols uh or in some cases like with the armors uh sign i used like vertical lines to kind of make it look like a, a reinforced sign like something that had been like not stapled together but like had like rivets or bolts or metal bits kind of holding it all together in the same way that you'd expect from that kind of a of a shop um, it's harder to see in the screenshot but there is an anvil on the sign near the um near the uh, east blacksmith uh and that was interesting because the way that the armor stands work you can't always center an object when it's not an item if it's a block model it's a lot harder to work with when you're doing this technique than it is with uh, an item so the, the for me the thing was like you know use an item if you can uh, I would say for anybody that is going to mess around with the armor data pack, um, armor statues, excuse me, um, switch the item from the hand of the armor stand to the head because it makes it a little bit easier to position. It'll it'll be off on one of the axes, but it, it's, it's an easy translation rather than having to slide things around into weird positions. Um, and that, that helped me keep things that I wanted to be in the center, in the center, uh, I found. And then small armor stands uh you can do these mini armor stands and that will help if an item is like too big like a bow for example or a sword wouldn't fit on a hanging sign as the sprite exists in the world because of how big they are yeah and because yeah. when you give it to an armor stand it holds the thing you know like an like an armor stand would 
and so it's much too large to fit on the sign. So if you use the mini armor stand, then the sword becomes smaller and it becomes just the right size to fit inside the hanging sign. Sure, so there yeah, are some yeah. fun things that you can do with this. And I tried a bunch of stuff with some text that, that didn't really pan out because text looks different on the hanging signs because the font size is different compared yeah. to well and and the the hanging sign itself is a smaller sign too so you can't quite do the same kind of art um now one thing i didn't get into which is a feature of 1.20 is there's a new symbols library that you can use to actually add and type in different things onto signs and i'm just not that savvy on a pc to know like where to go to copy those and, and use them so i mean the sky's the limit with new signs and old signs um uh with like that kind of stuff but i just i didn't get into that level of, of detail with it i was just i was so enamored by the process of putting these signs outside of my shops that i've been waiting for like i, I they most of them don't have signs for this reason because I, I was waiting for hanging signs so it was really fun to do things like put a pumpkin pie outside the bakery and, and things like that i didn't do it to all of them there were some some signs i just liked the way that they were like the carpenter sign that's just it's a block with an axe on it that's hanging on a on a birch uh, fence post it looks like a rope i'm just like you know i kind of like that i think i'm going to leave some of them to be a little bit more low tech or or slightly different just so that everything doesn't look like it has the same sign um so that was that was a lot of fun and that's basically how i spent the rest of my weekend because tinkering around with armor stands is, is time consuming and um rewarding but but a little bit on the on the grindy side you know it's kind of like mining for for netherite scrap like you just kind of <laughs> go through a lot to get to get something when once you get into a groove it's pretty good but other than that it it, it took some time but i'm happy with it because now uh, once again adding that level of finish to west hill like it really starts to feel like a little rpg town which is fun yeah i expect coming back and walking around it after you've done all of the work and you can just mm -hmm. enjoy walking around the town really satisfying feeling i bet yeah especially with the way that the signs now stick off of the uh the buildings because of course the sort of mistake that i made was the way that west hill runs is the sun kind of goes over the top of it um east to west as as you would expect but of course a lot of the roads the buildings face like north and south and so some of the buildings that you want to get a nice cool facade of sunshine don't and so yeah. by hanging the signs in the opposite direction, perpendicular, the signs get the light. So when you're walking down the road, you can see very clearly there's the apothecary and there's the butcher shop. So yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff works out well. You've got a couple of really cool ways of having them stick out from the sides of buildings instead of just like being stuck on a pillar that's on the side of it as well. Like you've got them attached to slabs and trap doors and stuff hanging outside. And I think that's good to keep them a block or two out from the entrance to your place so the sign doesn't get overshadowed by, you know, the overhanging roof that you've built or whatever. I think that's that's kind of a smart way of positioning them. Thanks. A lot of it was more like um, because they are kind of like things that I've putting in later I didn't want to change the building too much. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, and, that's true. And so I was like, well, I, I need to add this to it. And the other thing is that I, and you probably are the same way. It's like hanging a lantern in the third block or hanging a sign in the third block off the ground. It's even though you're not going to hit your head, it looks like you're going to. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's like when staircases in Minecraft are too low, it feels strange. Uh, and so I found that the better way to do it is usually to get the sign one block higher. So hanging the sign on the fourth block above the road 
felt way more visible. It didn't feel like you're going to knock your you know forehead on it when you walk into a into a shop. So that was part of it. And in other t- ways, like the way that the signs hang, and we'll get into this again later in the show, the way that the signs hang, they don't always work with the blocks that you have decorated your homes with or your buildings with. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, if I can't hang it there, where can I put it? And if I put it somewhere, because again, like I've already completed the road and I've already completed the facade of this building, the logical solution is to have some sort of, you know, constructed um, beam that would be like almost like a flagpole, you know, where the sign would go. And in some cases, I just used the sign like the bakery. It just no changes to the building whatsoever. I just stuck the sign on there and it worked just fine. It's mm-hmm. low, but it's low, far enough away from the door that you don't, you're not going to hit your head on it. But then there was other places where it just really felt like it needed it. I think the flower shop was one because the flower shop has got so much color out front of it. I really needed to push the sign farther into the street for it to even be visible as, as like, a, oh, that's what that place is, you know? And so that part was tricky. I also have um, a hanging flower, air quotes. There's a chain, an allium in a flower pot from the front of the, the flower shop. And any situation where I put a sign underneath that, instead of that flower pot looking like it was hanging, it looked like it was sitting on the sign. Sure, and I was like, okay, yeah. well, so I, so I lost that cool effect by putting anything underneath it. So I had to find a way to get it off to the side and, and tinker around with it. And actually that was one of the things that I, I found really interesting is that I had to remind myself, oh, right. We've got hanging signs in every single wood type. Cause I yeah. was struggling with like the, uh, the, um, spruce and i had oak and i had the jungle wood and i thought wait a minute i can do mangrove signs you know yeah. and so i had to go get one and and sure enough that was the solution that i needed so it was one of those things where like messing around with it and exploring all of your options with the hanging signs i think is worth it because they they are pretty flexible and um it's a fun way to kind of get into some finishing touches in in 1.20 it's it's almost like hanging signs almost feel like like an end game addition like they're, they're not the thing that you build first and then build a house around it. They're the last thing that you tag on, you know, yeah. to a house or a building or a shop or, a, or a signpost or something like that. And, and I think that it's interesting that, you know, as someone that's kind of like at the end of a project in Minecraft, the first thing I go to is like the end game item in, yeah. in 1.20, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, I kind of agree in this, in the sense that you need, a decent supply of iron and you need the patience to be able to strip logs to craft them mm-hmm. like they're actually relatively expensive even though with most of them you get six signs from the recipe so it still feels like the amount of material you put in you're getting some stuff out of it but uh yeah like I- i'm excited to see what people end up doing with hanging signs i already used them for the fishing cottage that i showed last week and there's a lot of cool details you can do with them but i think adding all of these items on the invisible armor stands just like sets it off in in such a nice way around west hill so that's really cool looking thanks man what have you been up to this week in the survival guide so i went to the nether uh the end of last week oh, uh nice. in survival guide uh spawned in a basalt delta because of course i did uh <laughs> but um at least the, the other biomes and a nether fortress were in easy reach so i effectively i didn't mean to but i kind of thought well this is, this is an introductory episode to the nether for anybody who is new to the series and new to minecraft so let me at least go around all the other biomes that i can find and say well if you spawn here here's what to look out for you know wear gold if you're coming to the nether like get a warped fungus if you're in a crimson place just so you don't get hoglins following you around 
and you know that that kind of stuff so I, I explored all of the nether biomes right away brought back a bit of material from that but i haven't really done a whole lot with the nether yet i haven't been to a nether fortress although there is a point in tomorrow's video where nether fortress comes to me in quite a dramatic fashion i built a nether portal somewhere completely different and it turns out that i was right in the middle of a fortress and <laughs> immediately immediately had to shelter from blazes fireballing me um but then i'm hoping to set up a more structured nether hub this season where last season it really felt like just a series of convenient corridors going from one place to another and in season one i set up like something that never really came to fruition because i wanted to build something central and all of my portals were really far away because i'm going too far flung biomes and farms and generated structures in order to find that stuff and so that's often trips in the nether of several hundred blocks that just doesn't make sense to fit into a central hub-like building so i'm gonna try and do some design stuff this time around and figure out how i want that to feel as like a large structure but one that feels like it has the reach uh to to hit those far-flung portals and i haven't quite figured out my uses for cherry wood uh, so maybe that's what I end up using cherry wood for. Is I like <laughs> transform the the Nether into a bubblegum paradise that I feel slightly safer walking around. Um, <laughs> nice. I do feel slightly safer now that I've got a skeleton spawner XP farm though, because I'm finally able to get enchanting done reliably. I have diamond tools, got my silk touch and fortune, combined pickaxes to get efficiency five right away. The only thing I don't have so far is mending, but that'll show up when I get to villages hopefully. And uh, I'm working on armor right now. Um, got our first armor trim in the episodes I just did about shipwrecks. So there's a bit of that starting to go on as well. But uh, yeah, the, the skeleton spawner is... Spawners are one of my favorite things to do in Minecraft. Like just being able to put one of those together, the technical project of it, but on a fairly low level technical project because spawners, if you know what you're doing, if you just set up a couple of water streams, they kind of farm themselves you just direct the skeletons into one corner and you're good and so i dressed it up a little bit i added an enchanting setup in there i added my favorite mob softener which just like has the skeletons pop up into lava but has a slab over the top of the skeletons so that they they still take damage but all of the drops and xp get preserved it's a really neat design that i've been using since minecraft 1.8 and hasn't really changed very much at all um so that's been fun um but now i'm starting to explore generated structures because i feel like before i get too far ahead in progression and the nether and going to nether fortresses and stuff nether fortress is probably going to be the last thing i do visit that this week but i've been to shipwrecks i might do ocean ruins i'm not going to do an ocean monument until we've got potion brewing but i go to a desert temple in tomorrow's episode and do a desert well uh, just for introducing archaeology as well and i've found a couple of abandoned mine shafts that i might go back to uh, so I'm ticking off stuff like armor trim, I'm looking for more spawners and discussing the kind of early game benefits of working with those. But it still feels like early game, which is nice. It feels kind of like we're just getting set up here until we, we start to take on some larger projects and figure out exactly what it is we want to do. But I'm feeling comfortable in this world and it's been really good finding the stuff that I've found. There, there are a couple of loot drops that are very kind to me, like I found armor trim in the shipwrecks almost immediately and i found enough of that that i could come back reproduce one and then get all of my armor decorated and yeah just been been looking around at some stuff seeing where i'm likely to find stuff like ancient cities there's there's a lot still to do but i think it's uh, going to be fun to check those off the list later 
I think that's one of the interesting things about Minecraft 1.20 in the early game is like when you start to get to the point where you've got XP, you've got food sorted, and you can start to explore and look for like structures like you mentioned, like like shipwrecks, is that the game starts to branch quickly. Yeah. Like all of a sudden there's all these different things that you can do. Now you have the knowledge to say, I'm not going to go and do the ocean monument because I know that that's going to kick my butt right now until I have like water breathing and maybe some more advanced stuff. But there's just there's a lot of like pull in different directions for exploration and for you know armor trims and for buried treasure maps and for different structures and you're talking about you know archaeology and like you know perhaps even trail ruin if somebody finds them like there's a lot i think in the i don't know i guess we want to call it early game still but like there's just that mid there's a lot of stuff i feel that kind of I'll say pulls you from progression. I don't want to say that's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm just saying sure. there's 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 a lot there's a lot to do without feeling like you're a slave to how do I just get stronger, better, faster. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's interesting because I think that in the same way that uh, Olraf was talking about how archaeology itself is supposed to be slow, right? It's not supposed to be mine this out as fast as you can. It's supposed to be take your time, do it carefully. I think that's overall the things like archaeology armor trim those kind of things that have been added to the game do the same thing for progression we'd like to say hey you don't have to rush through all of this you can just take your time and explore this because like all of this is going to be of interest if not benefit you know to you and in, in, in the long run and yeah. um, i think that that's that's nice because you know it, it battles that um you know that that common question that we hear a lot which is like i'm bored in minecraft what should i do and you're just like really how yeah <laughs> you know? and and especially with 1.20 i feel like there's a fair argument for like look like there's a lot to be done there's a lot to be done and if you if you've got you know the the track you know once you've got the the infrastructure set up like you said you've got a spawner you've got enchanting you've got you know your food sorted you've got some tree farms and stuff at home like that kind of stuff even in the nether like you're on the cusp i say spawning into another fortress which is like talk about a win um like that i think is kind of like puts you on the cusp of potion brewing right like you that's gonna be coming up soon yeah yeah and i'm i'm sort of i'm treating progression as like remove some of the frustrations right like the the xp farm i wanted to get set up early because then you don't have to worry about going and mining every time you want levels or breeding and killing cows every time you want levels Mm -hmm. it's an easy way to get to stuff like if i want to introduce crossbows and talk about them for an episode at least I can just go and get all of the enchantments right away so I have all of that ready to demonstrate. And that may not be the same approach that people watching the tutorial will want to follow, but it's still a good way to encourage experimentation and then make the experimentation easy rather than people having to work super hard just to get something that they they ultimately aren't going to want. And that's one of the reasons I'm approaching archaeology and some of these structures now is because once you get past the scarcity part of minecraft when you start to get into abundance of materials and creative projects start to become a lot more likely even in survival you end up with things seeming less significant to you because they aren't providing large-scale resources or powerful equipment or anything like that and it's easy to lose perspective on what is useful and what isn't and that's why our experience the uncovering a trail ruin with uh, Archaeoplays and Ulraf was so good is because that was an activity that we had efficiency tools and netherite gear and stuff for, but we were still taking our time picking through everything. And 
I think that's a, a good perspective to keep when you're in late game but still uncovering generated structures from the early game. The stuff that you can just stumble upon whilst you're exploring. I really like that skeleton spotter design, by the way. I, wa I watched that episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm caught up, I think, but I, I, I definitely watched that episode when it first came out because I'm used to the ones where you, you want them to be one-hit kills, so you're, like, raising them up and then dropping them down 22 blocks, and you're doing all mm -hmm. this math. and Bubble columns you have and to, stuff, yeah. Yeah, you kind of sit there and wait for them to, to, to pile up or, or, or whatever, and I, I, I've never found it all that reliable. Um, I'm not going to redo the ones that I've got done. They were fun to do, and sometimes they're they're kind of interesting to to do. But um, the the idea of building that redstone contraption that you know raises them up and kills them, and because you hit them first, you get the XP, and because it's so close to the spawner, like you're just you're everything is so compact. Like it's a much smaller build. There's more redstone knowledge that has to go into it. But man. It feels like it's way more efficient. And I can only imagine how good it would be if you happen to be in a double or triple spawner area. Like if it was two skeleton spawners feeding into the same, you know, drop shoot or something like that. Like that would be epic. So the next time I decide that I'm going to do a spawner for something, I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's def definitely worth uh, worth doing for sure. And I hadn't been to the nether yet, so no soul sand. <laughs> so I really couldn't have the, ah, there you the go, water right. option. And and this bit, this is built at like Y negative fifty one in the world because the the spawner arrived like quite low in the really low, the yeah. Y levels. Yeah, so I couldn't really dig down twenty three blocks from there. I'd be in the void <laughs> at that point. Um, but anyway, let's move on into the news. And there's a bit of a void of news this week. Actually, it's a very quiet news week. Understandably, since the release of one twenty probably means that the team are focused on whatever is next whether it's in development features for the next major update or quality of life improvements for minor releases some of them are probably even taking a well-deserved break so we have a couple of items of news first of which is minecraft bedrock edition is now on version 1.20.1 really just a couple of bug fixes coming through in this one from the betas which improved the reliability of unlocking achievements on the nintendo switch boats now retain the ability to carry passengers when a world is upgraded to the trails and tails update because they had a bit of a bug in the transition there and so they are now able to carry passengers again they've also fixed a bug that caused the pressure plates deactivation delay to be inconsistent which is good news for all you bedrock redstone folks the other news is that minecraft the movie is due to begin filming in august of 2023 filming is happening in new zealand and is going to begin on the 7th of august with jason momoa and matt berry still reportedly appearing in the cast the show the show is currently being directed by napoleon dynamite's director jared hess so at some point the minecraft movie is going into production uh in, in terms of shooting schedule at least and hopefully at some stage it's going to come out i think it's still slated for 2025 at this stage probably like april 2025 was the last date that i saw so uh yeah we'll we'll see how that turns out i guess so i'm confused because the idea of shooting and filming and all this with jason momoa and matt barry like it's a live action movie like, yeah it's and not it's it's always been a live action movie which is really <laughs> yeah um as far as i'm aware from as far back as when it started being discussed and it was like announced on minecraft.net formally and i think jeb tweeted like a picture of the the script that they had at the time um yeah i'm fairly certain that it's always been the ender dragon arrives in the overworld is like the the conceit of the whole thing like the ender dragon arrives uh... in our world um and so, yeah, it's it's a live action thing, presumably with a lot of like extra CG stuff going on. But 
I presume Jason Momoa is going to be like Steve or the equivalent thereof. Um, but hey, don't yeah, get we'll me see. wrong. I, I like Jason Momoa like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I even liked Aquaman. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but I really enjoy him as an actor and just as a person. He's just a pretty cool dude. Uh, big Game of Thrones fan as well. Um, for me, I am. Uh, the, thing, <laughs> the thing I just find it so strange. Like, has has the rest of the the people working on this seen Pixels or maybe the original Super Mario Brothers movie from like the eighties? Because just keep that in mind because these yeah, things don't yeah. always work in in live action. And I'm just so surprised considering, I mean, this is more recent, like the Super Mario Brothers movie it just was an absolute smash hit. Everybody that I've talked to that have seen it just absolutely loved it. But then also the Lego movie, that's not new. That's been around yeah. for ages. And yes, it had some live action components, but it was an animated film. Like it was mostly a, a, a cartoon. And and they both did very, very well. And they're done very, very well. I'm so surprised that Minecraft is not an animated feature. Yeah. Uh, consider it, uh, I guess, morbid curiosity <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Like, I, I am a yeah. little bit curious to see what they can do. And, like, we've seen some successful merging of live action and Minecraft elements through AR, like, apps like Minecraft Earth. But even those, it was fairly clear where the distinction lay between what was Minecraft and what was not. And I just... We're not going to know anything until, like, a trailer comes out or, like, production stills. We're, we're going to know very little about the visual approach they are taking with this game, which is absolutely going to define whether it's good or bad, I think. Like, regardless of how <laughs> tightly plotted it is, you know, how good the jokes are written, that kind of thing, I do think, visually speaking, Minecraft is so distinctive that unless they absolutely nail whatever balance it is they're trying to strike it's going to be a very weird time for everybody involved oh so, man like, again we're, we're we're keeping an eye on this one just in case the spawn chunks needs to have a field trip to the movie theater but very confused about just the overall direction that it's taking i just can't get it out of my head like the the surfer dude aquaman like paul bunyan with a pickaxe kind of like you know jason momoa going like all right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a minecraft fight like what is going on the, there are definitely brain? there are some folks especially on the minecraft reddit i've seen people sharing their kind of like comic book interpretations of minecraft like heavily inspired by like manga and mm-hmm. there's a guy who draws Steve as though he's like a character from Berserk, where he's like super overly muscled and he's like basically <laughs> this monster with sharp teeth and this, the pickaxe is like a weapon that he just uses to like smash zombie skulls in. It's like brutal kind of stuff. But then and, and then all of the, the mobs look a lot more quote unquote realistic, just like cartoonishly exaggerated, but in a more like if a creeper actually existed, it would be terrifying kind mm-hmm. of way if it wasn't just this kind of blocky cartoonish creature. So yeah, it there's there's ways of interpreting Minecraft that can lean towards stuff like that, but this is obviously going to be a family feature. So yeah, curious how they're going to walk the line. I'm I'm wondering if Jason Momoa is going to arrive in the overworld almost like Jumanji style, the way like Robin Williams steps out of the game after 40 years and is like, you know, right. immediately needs to have a shave. Um yeah, I'm 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 very curious about it. It's uh it's obviously going to be a while until we get anything visually about what this movie is, but curious about it until then. Are we ready for some email? Yeah, we might as well. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. As usual, if you'd like to email the show, our email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from folks, especially if you're sharing your experiences about Minecraft 1.20. Uh, Joel, why don't you read this first one? First email comes in from Emily. Moving too quickly, question mark. 
Hey, Pix and Joel, I hope you're both well. I've been playing Minecraft off and on since 2012. Sometimes I miss the old basic days of Minecraft without allays, pillagers, or even anything in the water. Do you guys think, like in the real world, technology and updates in Minecraft are happening too quickly? I feel like I learn about a new mob or a game mechanic, get to grips with it, then more come out. I'm worried about the Minecraft team burning out from the stress of keeping up with demand, but also overloading a very classic game with too much quote-unquote modern flair. Thanks very much for a great podcast. Emily died happily while watching the Minecraft sunset, thinking of old times. And a shout out to Emily. It's Emily's birthday today. So happy birthday, Emily. We're sorry that you're dead. <laughs> oh no um well yeah hopefully respawning nice and quickly to enjoy your birthday have a cake um yeah uh i think this is an interesting perspective because i'm somebody and you're somebody uh with your stream schedule these days who plays the game on a more or less daily basis we at least play it several times a week each yes and um i'm very happy whenever we get an update to minecraft because new features are always exciting to explore and when you play this frequently you get to grips with stuff a lot faster but I can certainly see how it might feel overwhelming for people who don't play as often or for people who prefer that simplicity and minimalism of early Minecraft. And this is one of the major reasons I think that I am happiest playing Java Edition as opposed to Bedrock Edition because parity is coming a really long way and they are very similar feature-wise these days. But access to older versions is still possible through the Minecraft Java Edition launcher. And by default, that goes back as far as release 1.0 from 2011. But you can go into the Settings tab, enable historical versions, and you can go back to versions from 2009, before survival mode was even a thing and the game was only just publicly available to play. Uh, and that's something I really hope is possible for Bedrock Edition players to do in future, at least on PC, because I can understand why older versions aren't really going to be feasible on consoles and mobile devices but i do think the historical context of minecraft remains important to the community to this day and for people who still want to go back and experience what the game was like before ocean temples and you know shipwrecks and kelp and everything else you can always dial back and start a world or continue a world in minecraft 1.7 and you don't need to worry so much about those things but if you want to keep up with all of the modern stuff then you can keep moving your version forward and i think the other thing to note about that is that you have the option to upgrade your java edition whereas on bedrock it upgrades by default if i'm not mm -hmm. mistaken right so like if yes. you don't pay attention like the next time you try to log into your world in 1.19 it could just be 1.20 whether you wanted to or not yeah whereas yeah. with java you you are prompted to opt in as opposed to the other way around uh which i think is important uh, i've actually made comments to, to this effect uh or the opposite of this effect this weekend i think things like the hanging signs that i was messing around with all weekend make minecraft feel more like a modern game and i'm happy for it because uh, I think one of the things that I get, I will say, maybe burnt out a little bit on because I play Minecraft so often. Granted, I really like the game. I feel like the graphics and some of the things that Minecraft does feels very dated. And and by adding new things in like the hanging signs, like the camels, uh, I feel like they really help Minecraft stay modern or at least feel more modern. Same thing with the update cycle. The fact that uh, it's gone from just twice a year to now the the smaller updates which we'll talk about a little bit in the next email i think that that helps the game also keep up 
you know, to date with other games that are released in either early access or are released with like games as a service, things like that. And I mean, the fact that you're not paying for Minecraft as a game as a service is just so surprising to me. Uh, and I think that that's, that's something that I'm very thankful for con considering how relevant Minecraft continues to, to be. Uh, and I think that, you know, these kinds of features, um, it's a tough balance. Like they have to balance the blocky aesthetic, the, the way that the game feels, the grindy, but not too grindy way that Minecraft, you know, kind of likes to release things with these new features. And I think it's a delicate balance. I'm not worried about burnout so much, uh, because I think that they've been very transparent about, um, how close they were or how over the line they were on the caves and cliffs update and how they've been dialing that back and how more frequent, you know, less intense updates will be better for the team going forward. I think they've been pretty transparent about that. And, and I, so I'm not worried about the burnout so much, but I think that it would be pretty shocking. I'd be very interested to see someone that hasn't played Minecraft for quite a while, like four or five years to just come into now and just be like, holy smoke, like, what is all this? What's yeah. an armor trim? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what, what, and why, where can I find it? And, and, or even like, what the heck is netherite? Like just that kind of stuff, I think would be a very interesting experience for someone that's been away from it for a long time and hasn't been keeping up, like not, not even through hearsay. Like maybe they played in, in their, you know, junior high or, or, or as a kid. And then, then they got really busy into high school and university. And now that they're done and they're coming back to it later. I think that would be a very interesting conversation to have. I think there's even parents who are, you know, old Minecraft players from back in the beta days and then put it down for a while and then came back with their kids because this is now mm -hmm. a 12 year old game. And yep. uh, yeah, suddenly there's, there's a lot more to explore there. So yeah, I, I do, I do think the pace of things seems to be manageable and i think for some people even this update lacked a bunch of new stuff that they were super interested in so it's obviously going to vary wildly in terms of perspective you got to remember though that the core audience for minecraft has skewed younger and younger almost every year and i think now they're looking to keep players interested considering that their attention span is going to drift from game to game if Minecraft doesn't keep putting out updates. I don't think that's necessarily something the team is going to have difficulty managing. Like Joel, I'm very confident that they know what they're doing in terms of keeping the developers happy and not burning out. But I, yeah, I, I do think that they do have to keep producing content both for the general health of the game and for the audience that the game now finds itself with. And when I look at other games that are updating fairly frequently in terms of the advertisements that I see, and I'm not going to name any names, but I, I feel like the quality of the updates that we get from Minecraft are higher than the either more frequent or the we're just going to throw whatever pop culture <laughs> you know, yeah. thing we can at the update right now. And as can, I'm seeing it across multiple Fortnite, games. You can say Fortnite, Joel. You can say Fortnite well, on this podcast. It's okay. That, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't actually what I was thinking of. But I just, I, I feel like there's, a, there's enough out there that, you know, like they just seem to kind of like, I don't want to say grasp at straws, but they certainly jump on whatever popular bandwagon is, is sure. current. And I think that's the kind of thing where you see like the often imitated but never duplicated Minecraft you know, I feel like the games that try to jump on the bandwagon and put their own pop culture spin on Minecraft, they don't last, right? Sure, Whereas if you yeah. stay a little bit more true, you know, to to its core uh, with the the updates that Minecraft does put out, then it it has that staying power, uh, timelessness, I guess is what we'll call it. Well, let's move on to the second email. This one comes in from Ai Che with the subject of what do we want? 
Hey Joel and Pix, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. You'll have helped me through many a day of work. Well, don't work too hard and don't get in trouble for listening to the show. Uh, but I am the owner of a long-term Bedrock Edition realm, and I've been diving headlong into the new update. The new cherry trees have been a great addition to my Japanese temple-inspired base, and armor trims have proven to be a fun time to find and equip. Bamboo wood has also been fun to farm and mess around with in this new update. However, one thing I'm already beginning to notice in this update is that I often forget what else I can do in it. In just a few hours, I felt as though I had discovered almost all that there was to discover. I'm certainly not complaining about the quality of this update, and not necessarily even about the quantity. I'm simply wondering how often I will use the features that have been presented. Although these new features will certainly add variety to my gameplay, I'm not sure they lend themselves to be sought out again and again, especially in a long-term world. However, I'm not sure that this is even a problem. Oftentimes the Minecraft community will complain from receiving too little in an update, but also will complain if the items promised are then included just as described. This also begs me to wonder, what do we want? I can't help but feel slightly underwhelmed by this update, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Aiche died a contemplative death after years of trying to come up with an idea for the perfect Minecraft update. We'll get into the weeds of what we've been doing in 1.20 in the main discussion, but I can say I've definitely leaned harder into some features in this update than I have others. Um, I'm happy to explore some things that 1.20 has to offer, and I'm happy for others that have found something in 1.20 to be excited about, but quote unquote excited is not a word I would use to describe how I feel about, about 1.20. I think Aiche may be getting at it uh, because of the Minecraft community being so large. Like I feel like saying that you hear the the same Minecraft community say one thing and not another, I think what you're hearing is two very different sections of the Minecraft community. The problem is that both sections are so large because of how many people play Minecraft. It feels like one giant voice that can't agree. Whereas I think what you're getting is, is just the two different, you know, sets of, of opinions that are that tend to be out there. And depending on what circles you travel on the internet, you know, you can end up with some confirmation bias. And I definitely see it when I go looking for things. Um, I think I've put trails and tales in the frame of mind that not everything in it is for me. And that's okay. And I also think that I've also been kind of training my brain over the last several months, really, to adjust to the new attainable major updates. And let's not forget the minor updates in the cycle from Mojang, because 1.20.1 is not likely to be the last version of Trails and Tales that we see. I can't speculate on what might happen. It might be just bug fixes. It could be just quality of life adjustments. There could be something that the community sends feedback on that they adjust entirely. Um, we'll just have to, you know, keep our feedback constructive. And that's one thing I wanted to point out about IJ's email I thought was really good is that rather than stating this is boring or it's not good or it's, you know, it, what it isn't, they were asking questions. And I think that's a great way to approach this kind of thing. Like, what do we want? Why do I feel, despite on paper being happy with this update, why do I feel under underwhelmed by it? And I think one thing that might be a place to look for that answer is, when you're comparing this update to the last previous, like this is that shift that I was talking about from the, the major updates that are huge to the major updates that are more a little bit more attainable for the team. I think that that's maybe what the feeling is. Like, yes, it is a Minecraft update, but I think that the better comparison will be what does 1.21 and 1.22 look like? And then you draw a comparison across the board and go like, oh, okay, that's the new baseline. 
right? I think if you're comparing backwards to 119 or 118, like it's going to be, it's apples and oranges. Like you just can't. Yeah. I think this update is broad. And I think some aspects of it, like armor trim and archaeology, maybe have a bit of depth, maybe have a bit of long term appeal, but it kind of lacks the tentpole features that we have kind of gotten used to with previous updates. Like, you know, for all the criticism around the wild update, ancient cities and the deep dark feel iconic and memorable. The nether update changed the look of the nether in a way that we cannot ignore because we go and see it. Like, I spawned in a basalt delta. You know, it wasn't possible before the nether update. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at Caves and Cliffs as a an entire update, because obviously part one adds the geodes and the copper and everything, but then part two solidifies all of that by changing terrain generation permanently. I think those all have central features that you can point to and say that is what changed and obviously there are a ton of minor features outside of that but i think each of those has like a central feature that feels like the focus whereas 1.20 has variety but it lacks a central focus some people are referring to it as the archaeology update because that's something that now applies to multiple structures and adds a tool and all of this kind of stuff to some people it might be the cherry grove and sniffer update because those two kind of go together there's lots of like lovely beautiful flowers around and this new cute creature that goes up and sniffs them and i think the thing is there's not one major feature like you think about the wild update you probably think about the deep dark and then you think, oh yeah, but mangrove swamps are a thing as well. But the deep dark is kind of the the main focus. The thing about Minecraft as a game, and the breadth of the Minecraft audience at this stage is because there are so many different ways of looking at the game. There are so many different, for want of a better term, disciplines that people subscribe to. There are different ways to play that a lot of people identify with. There are builders, there are redstoners, there are explorers or whatever. What do we want is a question that you cannot answer with a single answer. Never will be able to. 500 million people play this game. Everybody wants different stuff. And the younger players, the more impatient ones, or the ones that want an action-adventure thing out of Minecraft are going to be interested by stuff like Ancient Cities. If they do one once, they might never go back because this is still a sandbox game and you can ignore more or less any part of it that you want to except maybe grass blocks and the fact that you need wood to craft anything. And so I think there's so little you can do to answer a question like this, especially for updates like this one. And I think you're going to be seeing stuff from this update long term, whether you're going to be using it is another matter. But whenever you explore the world now, if you explore long enough, you're going to find a cherry grove. You know, you're going to see uh, the you know landmarks of a trail ruin kind of popping up from the surface you're going to swim around an ocean and probably spot some suspicious gravel around an ocean ruin whether you choose to interact with that is another matter entirely but the fact is the footprint of this update is still going to be there for the foreseeable future you know hanging signs are something that you and i were talking about earlier we're probably going to use quite a lot because they are another option in building and building is a long-term activity in this game I I imagine the redstone community is also now trying to figure out what do we do with calibrated skulk sensors? Like, what can we do with those now that we couldn't do with back then? And how often are we planning on using them? And how important is that wireless redstone functionality to us over a short distance compared to what we used to do with all the kind of like behind the scenes trickery and stuff? Everyone's going to have different approaches based on whatever their specialism is. And the jack-of-all-trades like me are just going to be dipping our fingers into more or less everything. 
But I think, you know, if you've got some armor trim, you are using that armor trim for the remainder of your time wearing that armor, provided that you do it once. You know, you're not constantly re-trimming your armor necessarily, but you're always going to have that stuff around. And I think there could be some things that, you know, the mini games that come out of, of updates, you know, like I know that you mentioned that armor trim was, was it in the bingo or was it removed from bingo? It's in the bingo now. Like you, you get yeah. armor trim on boots. You have blue armor trimmed boots of any design. It doesn't matter what the design is, but that's one of the items in Minecraft. Bingo, right. Yeah. So things like that, you know, we're going to have some time for that kind of stuff to develop. The, the update's only been out for a couple of weeks. And uh, I, I think back to things like the 1.14 update, the village and pillage update that I was like, all right, well, it's cool that they're adding all this kind of stuff. I don't really care. Like, you know, in terms of like my general builder kind of mind frame and yeah, it changed a lot with villagers and things like that, but it, it didn't really affect the way that I was playing the game. And so I was not as excited about it as I was the aquatic update or the nether update or even Buzzy Bees I thought was was pretty cool in terms of what they added. So I, I think that um, while there isn't a lot of um, like, like you mentioned, like tent pole stuff in in this update i feel like they've laid the groundwork for more to be in future updates like just as an example i'm going to pull this out of my hat but let's just say they update something major in minecraft but then in addition to that major tentpole thing in minecraft they are also able to add another pottery sherd they add another trail ruin somewhere somehow you know that kind of a thing um it allows them to kind of like to, to do that. But in order to do that in a future update, they have to lay the groundwork. But that groundwork takes a lot of work. And I think that's kind of where this update kind of falls for me is that I think I understand that, yes, it's got some features that have been added. There's the new woods. There's, you know, the new hanging signs. There's the armor trims and things like that. But there's a lot of groundwork that's been laid. And I think that that, you know, including the um, calibrated skulk sensor that you just mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that could be layered on top of that in the future. So I see potential but I mean, like sky's the limit as to what they actually decide to do with it. I don't know. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily poo-poo this update, right? Like, I mean, it's not all for me. I'm not excited, excited about it. But I also think that um, it's added some layers to Minecraft for uh, different types of gamers. And I think that will prove to be a strength going forward. Yeah, it's, it's adding systems in some cases. Like archaeology feels like a system. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, a tool that does something new. It's something that they could add elements to in future. Like the addition of copper, where everyone kind of goes, well, it's just an aesthetic block. It's got the lightning rod and it's got, you know, the spyglass. We don't really use those too much. So what do we do with copper? We don't really do anything. But then you can add recipes to it in future and copper suddenly becomes a lot more significant. There, there are elements like that that we don't know for certain. And I don't think Mojang can guarantee at this point that they will be approaching it that way but there is a chance that these features can all be expanded so i think 1.20 might become a lot more valuable to players with retrospect it'll be interesting to see where that turns out but for now we are in the thick of it we are in 1.20 the citadel is now updated and i'm three weeks into survival guide season three in 1.20 so i thought we'd take a moment now that we've all dipped our toes in to discuss what we're enjoying from the trails and tales update and maybe keep a bit of constructive feedback in there as well so I went and looked for that cherry grove, uh, as I mentioned, and uh, while I did use chunk base to find it, I think that they seem to be frequent enough that it's it's really going to be something that people will be able to find easy, engage with easily, 
you're not going to be frustrated trying to find it, which I think is an important thing to take away from from the update because I've had that you know, happened before where I think that mangrove swamps for, for us were harder to find. It took me a long time to find a mangrove swamp live on stream when I did. And yeah. now when I found one, it was massive and it was very cool and that's fine. But I, I feel like because a uh, part of it was the content creation, like I didn't want to be walking around for an hour and a half finding nothing. So uh, by using chunk base, I kind of sped up the process. But once I discovered where they were and where to find them, like it, it became pretty pretty easy or pretty obvious that we're going to be finding them a, a fair bit. Um, as I mentioned earlier, finding a nice one might prove to be a little bit more difficult. Um, but I really liked the feeling that I had spending time in them, the floating petals, the way that the, the, the ground looks so different because those pink petals are everywhere, like absolutely everywhere. And something else that I explored on stream was the mechanic of being able to face a different direction and place the the pink petals on the ground so that Mm -hmm. if you are using them to like hand place and hand decorate you can very easily make it not look like a grid which is one of the i think probably one of the biggest complaints when there's a new texture added to minecraft is like when you place it all together in a big wall or a big floor if it looks like a grid people are like wow it's like it's really not it kind of takes me out of it whereas this even when they're just being placed down in the same direction unless they've got the same number of flowers in each one, they still look different. So it, that to me, I thought was a really interesting thing that I hope to see more of. And, and we'll send the positive feedback of like, yes, more control like that. I think by giving players more control in a very simple way, in a very expected way over things like pink petals, as small as they seem to be, I think would open up a lot of creativity for all kinds of different stuff. You know, like for you making your your green roof on your starter house in the Minecraft survival guide this season, like with the pink petals, like, yes, you could decorate the top of it, but you could decorate the top of it exactly how you want. It's not like you're putting this one block down and how it's how the flowers are set is how they're set. If you don't like the way that it's facing, you can just change it. And I think that that's a really, really smart thing to add to something as organic as the the cherry groves uh, or the items from a cherry grove too. Um, I did find the trees a bit of a pain to chop down. They're tall uh-huh. enough that you can't just do it from the ground. Like you kind of have to get up into the air and start chopping them down. I thought briefly that they all faced the same direction. Like they... One nice thing about them is like when you find a cherry tree, it is on one axis. It doesn't branch out in four in, in like in the second axis. It doesn't go both X and Z, right? It, it's, it's one or the other. I thought they were all facing north, south at first, but they're not. It just depends. I just happen to be in a place where they all were, but the other trees will face in different directions. But you don't get the kind of forking that you get in an oak tree, like the big oak trees that are a pain in the butt to chop down. Uh, or in dark oak, same thing. You don't get that kind of a fork. It's a very linear, very graphic thing, which I thought was a cool nod to like Japanese woodcut prints and things like that. I thought that was really cool. So once you know that, then you're like, okay, I don't have to look around this entire tree for wood. I just have to look in this one axis. It just has to be high because you're going to, they're going to hide up in the leaves a little bit. I do find the leaves really dense, which is good in some ways, um, but it's hard to see the logs through the trees for the lack of a better way to say it. So yeah, it does yeah. take a little while to chop them down. Um, however, because you get so many saplings from these large canopies, if you're farming cherry wood, you can absolutely plant the saplings like side by each in a straight line 
and not have to worry at all about not having enough saplings. Like you're absolutely going to have a net positive no matter what you do. It's like cutting down a spruce tree. You're just yeah. going to have way more than you need. Um, and I, I filled up a shulker box of all kinds of stuff in about an hour. Uh, and that was really cool. Uh, this is anecdotal and it might be related to my server. So take this with a grain of salt. I did notice a performance issue. I, I started to, to drop from the server. The server and me started to be out of sync. And I noticed it starting to happen when I was in the cherry grove. And there was a lot of decaying leaves, saplings dropping, and all the petals falling. It got worse as I got farther away from the cherry grove. So was that a server thing? Maybe. Uh, could it have been uh, my world is like sharing a server with another world? Could it be 1.20 update hiccups? It could be all kinds of stuff. But I did feel like this, the performance was a little bit slow around the cherry grove with so much going on. And it reminded me of the same experience I had when I was planting a massive sugarcane field. And any time that that sugarcane was growing, my game went to a crashing halt. Um, when the sugarcane was done growing, though, not not phased now that it's all finished growing you can walk by that area with not a frame drop in the world so I, it could it could be something like that i'd be very curious to see in our bug fixes and any kind of updates in the future for 1.20 if the cherry groves at all or the blossom blocks or the falling petals get updates for optimization at all uh, but again totally anecdotal it could be just just my server it could be just what, what i was experiencing yeah it could um, be a, a random tick kind of thing where it's yeah. looking, looking for decay and whether or not it stops that particle effect or not yeah there's there's a, a few potential things there um have you done any building with cherry wood yet or were you just like let me grab some of this stuff because I, I know you said you you were taking it around to other server mates and stuff so they have plans to build or at least own it um but uh you, I, I assume you haven't found any place for cherry wood to really go in in west hill I tried a little bit. The hanging sign that I mentioned in front of the flower shop earlier, uh, I tried a pink sign just because it's flowers. Um, there is coral. I've got some um, waterlogged slabs and um, I can't remember. Is it brain coral? One of them is the pink one, the bright yeah. pink one. And and so I've got, and it looks like a little shrub, you know, when you've got it out, out uh, near to water in the overworld. And, and the cherry wood hanging sign looked really good next to that, but it kind of clashed with the rest of the jungle wood uh, that was in the, um, in the build. So I didn't end up using it. So no, I haven't actually built with any of the cherry wood yet. It's, it's not something I think I'm going to be able to work into West Hill that easily. There's a chance I might be able to do some decorative stuff with like maybe a cherry boat or or maybe have something very specific in something outside of the city like a farmhouse or something like that but because of its very light very pink uh color it tends to just not go with anything that i've got going on i'm not saying i don't like the block i'm just saying that with what i've done over the last two years i just didn't i wasn't even thinking about the block until they announced it so like i i have nothing for it to really go with i think in the right context mangrove and potentially crimson wood types would go really well with with the um with the cherry wood maybe even some purple it depends on what you want to use it for um i also thought that in the future i might be using some of the the pink cherry wood specifically i like the strip logs uh in something like a sci-fi build where it's not even meant to look like wood like maybe i just want a pink outline on something you know like maybe i just want to have something 
look like it has a pink floor or a pink light or you know pink highlight or something so i can see it being used for something like that um but i, I didn't really find a use for it i do like how sharp the hanging signs look when the wood that they are being made out of is lighter because mm -hmm. then the iron attachments look that much stronger and has a higher contrast so specifically when you hang something on the side and you get that plank that has the strapping on it it looks really good with the cherry wood because of course it's a very light pink block and it's a very iron colored chain and so it's it very obviously looks exactly what you'd expect it to be like a hanging sign uh, but no I, like i haven't really done any anything with the the cherry woods i think the only thing that i'm going to try and again it might be so light that I, I, it might not work but there's enough green in the cherry blossom blocks that i might be able to use that in conjunction with flowering azalea and maybe some azalea bushes to kind of get like a flowering vine that's mm. a, that's kind of what i want to try to do i want to kind of do like a custom foliage with it i don't think i'm going to go straight like pink everywhere um and then the other thing i thought could be interesting would be and i think i've mentioned this before the cherry what are they called the pink petals on like the carpet flowers I think I might try to put those around the graveyard that I'm going to make because I think it might one make sense that you know pilgrims or, or town folk would plant flowers around graves and it would give me more variety than just the standard Minecraft flowers and I think that could be kind of cool to have different flowers around the graves and this whole area maybe maybe the whole idea was that the graveyard was chosen to be there because there were all these pink flowers around and as I mentioned earlier I'll have the creative freedom to just put them wherever I want them and I think that's going to be great. Yeah, I think they, they act a lot more like flowers when you take them out of the context of the cherry blossom. I think that's that's one of the yes. the fun things about using them is like when you're planting them in little sections, they just look like little pink flowers as opposed to something that had to fall from a tree. So there's a bit of diversity in there. Um, I found that cherry trees for now are making an excellent background detail, but I haven't used any of the wood for building yet either. I've mostly been working with bamboo and even then just the block of bamboo rather than the stripped one or the plank texture or anything. Uh, I did try out a bamboo raft, actually, um, and did that mainly for the novelty value. And I find that the raft is weirdly more disorienting than a boat in first-person POV. Yes. Because unless you're looking down at more than a 15-degree angle, the raft model doesn't enter your field of view. It doesn't have that lip around the front, and so the front of the, the raft is just sort of beyond where your legs would be, I guess. And so it feels more like you're gliding across the water. And I found myself half-consciously pressing F1 because I felt like an element of my HUD was missing. And that's weird to me. That's me kind of going, wait a minute, something is wrong here. And then having to look down a little bit further and being like, oh, no, it's just because I'm on a raft. Obviously, in third person, I tend to, you know, ride a boat around in third person some of the time anyway. Doesn't really make a difference. But in first person, using a raft feels significantly weirder than using a boat. And that's kind of funny to me. I noticed that in my snapshot experience. I remember commenting on that because you're in a snapshot and you're in a new world and you're looking around, but then you're looking one way, but then traveling another. And you're like, yeah. what is going on? And then you realize yeah. you can't see the front of the boat. It needs, it almost needs like a little, like a little fishing pole or a little post on the front of it. Like just, just to kind of like signify this is the front. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Or like a prow, like it, it needs like a canoe kind of point that yes. it can come to. Yeah. Or I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it really needs that, but it's just unfamiliar at this point. I'm just not used to it. Yeah. And I play with a field of view of 80. I'm not sure if it's affected by the field of view, if it was at like a higher number or not but i'm i'm mm. kind of kind of curious about people's experiences with the raft and if you find it as disorienting as i did 
Um, the other stuff from me, like I've applied some armor trim now. Um, it looks hideous, <laughs> but <that's, laughs> I, I will I will say mainly that's because I applied one smithing template with various colors to my current eclectic mix of armor, which is a diamond helmet and boots, uh, an iron chest plate, and some gold leggings. And I wanted to get kind of a gradient going, so I've got lapis, emerald, diamond, and then iron. But because I'm wearing different colored armor the whole way down, and because honestly, I don't think I think of all the armor to trim unless you're using very specific colors diamond with trim doesn't look all that great <laughs> i think i think if you if you maybe stuck with one color scheme it might feel different but i think netherite or iron are going to be because they're both neutrals more or less they're going to be the best armor to trim to get a good like effect going and so yeah i feel like right now it looks like a weird mishmash of stuff and i feel like i'm in an 80s jazzercise class or something with the amount of colorful stripes that are going on um, but but we will see. Um, I think maybe, yeah, once I get full diamond, I might try revisiting that and I'll have a different chest plate at that point and some more trim designs anyway. Maybe I can make something more stylish. But for now, I think it's it's kind of funny throwing all of the coast armor trims on my full set of armor at the time, just trying to find some colors that worked. And uh, as a result, I look like a bit of a mess. I've, I had some armor trim dropped off to me as a thank you for the cherry wood that I distributed. And uh, I feel like everybody is just going to have coast armor trim like immediately. Yeah. It I feels mean, like ship, that's the thing that people are finding, right? Shipwrecks are definitely the more common structures. Like I said, I found four armor trim. I, I found a, a couple in the desert temple that I raided for tomorrow's episode of Survival Guide. So I feel like I'm going to find them. Like I, I, I think I'm making it a, like I said, a long-term goal uh, to collect all of the armor trims. And obviously there's an achievement for, I think, or advancement for getting a certain number of them. It's not every single one, but it's if you get all of the ones from significant structures. And I think you maybe need one or two from the trail ruins, but not all four of them, right? I think, yeah, uh, yeah eventually I'll get that far. But a lot of people are going to find Coast as the first one because shipwrecks are so frequent once you get into a large ocean and once you've got one you think well i'll duplicate that because it's the first one i found and i don't want to use it and so everyone ends up with like a, a handful of them you know you've got half a stack in a chest somewhere if i was to explore and, and mess around with them i would i would imagine it would probably be in some way to decorate like with an armor stand along a hall in a museum or a fancy warrior hall in a in a castle or something like that coat of arms i could i could see maybe using them for things like that but i can't see myself going out of my way to go and get them for all the reasons that you just mentioned because when i go back and forth with the nether like i've got a gold helmet i i don't wear a chest plate i wear an elytra most of the time and then i've got iron pants and currently i've got netherite boots so like i can't see myself really you know getting into it one thing i i could see myself doing uh would be to if i was like say doing we have a lot of dragon fights coming up in the future and when i update the end on on the citadel and i also have you know like if i ever wanted to do um clear out an ocean monument or have armor that was specific for a situation like a lot of fire resist armor if i was building a a, a, a wither skeleton farm over a lava lake or something in the nether i could see myself wanting to differentiate that armor in my inventory by having different trim on it mm -hmm. you know uh, I think that would be very useful because I I don't like the whole like hover over the armor, wait, you know, look at the tool tip and see, well, which enchantments are on this? Is it the right? And they're never in the same order. So I think like saying like, oh, that's my, you know, my PVP armor, if that was the case, you know, if it was on a server or that mattered, like that's my mining armor, that's my 
aqua armor you know like my yeah, underwater this armor is, this is the fireman's outfit kind of thing it, that you know, kind of stuff yeah go, gold I, I helmet kind of yeah yeah, yeah I no I, I i do think that's going to be a useful thing for armor trim to represent for players who aren't as keen on the pure cosmetic expression of it like i think it's nice to be able to have some of that and the previous way you could do that would be like if you had all leather armor and you color coded it right but like nobody wears leather armor because of the armor like the the durability and the armor rating that it has being nowhere near as good as diamond or netherite um so yeah like I, i'm looking forward to armor trims at least diversifying in my current experience and and seeing when i settle on a permanent suit of armor what that's going to look like for me so curious to see how all of that goes at least i've introduced the concept right now so if i start to gather some of them i don't need to apply them straight away just to uh, you know introduce to my audience what they do um the other things I've done include chiseled bookshelves. Um, I decided against using them to store enchanted books for now because, of course, the books all blend in with each other and there's no way to tell them apart. And I have few enough enchanted books that I don't have enough to fill up an entire shelf with aqua affinity and an entire shelf with unbreaking and an entire shelf with efficiency or whatever. So I think once I have regular villager trades or i've amassed enough enchanted books that i feel like i can label them all with hanging signs or whatever like then i'll i'll start like arranging chiseled bookshelves that actually have some kind of meaning behind them but for now i think they're a nice way of decorating i like the fact that you can just throw a bunch of books in there in different orientations and they feel good to use i don't think the that like being able to manipulate different shelves and stuff and not have it just happen in a specific order i think they settled on a really great way of of implementing that and it, it works for me really well so i'm i'm happy with those in the meantime they're a nice detail block and i don't think they need to be much more than that uh once i start messing around with the redstone capabilities of them we will see but for the minute i've uh, i've tinkered with those a little bit and then, of course, the Desert Pyramid, the Desert Well, were my first real brush with archaeology, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, and I think that feels good to me. I think having done the Trail Ruins definitely contextualized archaeology for me in a much more valuable way. And the fact that between the Desert Pyramid and the Desert Well, I got one pottery shirt, a diamond, two emeralds, a bit of gunpowder and TNT and a stick <laughs> and, that, and that was it with those two structures but that's the point right like if if you wanted more loot then you just go and find another desert temple because you've got the burial chamber in there and that's where all of the the good stuff is if you're a treasure hunter and so I think the the archaeology aspect of it does encourage you to be more contemplative I do think that trail ruins really are the more exciting structure for archaeology and it's mainly because they contain items that have more variety and they can't typically be found as loot elsewhere. So the dyes, the glass panes, you know, there's a new music disc, of course, so there's a unique item there. But I mean, not even just that they are things that can't be crafted because the majority of them can. I think it's that you don't then have a chest nearby that's just got all of this stuff anyway that you can grab quickly. Whereas Desert Pyramid items are more or less identical. It feels like it uses the same loot table to what you find in the four loot chests in the central, what I think of as the burial chamber. Right. It, that makes sense. You know, it implies a connection between the two, right? You think maybe that separate section was just more of their possessions that didn't get buried with whoever is buried there, or it's, you know, just the stuff that they were bringing and it got buried, or maybe it's like a little side chamber that is for somebody less important if you're thinking about this as like pharaohs who would be buried with their favorite servants or whatever um, in sort of Egyptian 
you know history from our own world but um i i think the fact that the items are all so similar and you get gunpowder and you get bits and pieces like that doesn't really evoke the same sense of curiosity that i have about the trail ruins it feels like maybe there's a story being told there but the story doesn't have as much depth as it does from digging up the trail ruins finding 50 different items and them all being in different places but of course trail ruins are really the major addition for the sake of archaeology and i think those are the kind of the the flagship feature i suppose of, of the the whole archaeology thing they allow for a longer session they've got more variety and you don't find dyes or glass panes as loot in other structures and so it, it makes it more significant to be a find like that well given how much time we took to excavate one on on stream i feel like even though they're so rare to find when you find a desert temple like your archaeology experience there is like what five minutes Not yeah even. yeah it was it you was know? a footnote in my exploration of this desert temple really exactly and, but but yeah, exactly. i think it, it's it's a good way of introducing the feature giving you a little bit of experience with it and it's also as far as the trail ruins experience goes i think the trail ruins is harder if you want to preserve all of the suspicious gravel right the the desert temple the desert pyramid felt like an entry-level archaeology experience and so did the desert well because there aren't any situations in which suspicious sand falls if you're doing it from like the top down the way the way we figured out you're kind of supposed to whereas there are some suspicious gravel blocks in the trail ruins which Ulraf said are intentionally built that way so that they are traps almost and if you update a block next to them they they're intended to fall and that basically comes back around to this idea of once you have more experience with them, you maybe know where those are and you're able to prevent them falling before that happens. So Desert Pyramids really felt like an, an early archaeology experience and an obvious site to do that, which maybe prepares you for the experience of finding a trail ruins and, and uncovering that later. Have you had much time to play around with hanging signs? Only in that build that I did with the the fishing cottage, and there they were not used to be signage so much as just used as alternatives to fences. But I, I like the design right. of them a lot. I haven't used them in a variety of materials yet, but I think I'll be just as satisfied with them when I, when I am. And like you, I think I would have to have a significant town project to build up and have that like motif running through the town of you know every shop or house has a different sign that kind of indicates what it is i think stuff like that really great for them i think as a a detail block and as something to add more depth to the outside of a house a bit more kind of detail for fences and pathways and overhangs and that kind of stuff i i think they've got a lot of potential so I, i'm 100 percent happy with hanging signs they're probably if anything, going back to the email we had earlier, the feature that I will probably use the most going forward from this update, the thing that I'll use more frequently than anything else, because I think as a detail block, they are pretty special. Yeah, that's probably where I'm going to, at least for the time being, be spending a lot of my time, I think, is is I'm looking forward to putting them down into like a road sign, like putting like a, a log, I guess, because they don't, they don't really attach to fen fence posts the way that you'd want them to. Um, but having like a, uh, one of those cool medieval looking signposts in the road that has like you know go this way to this town go that way to that town continue straight till certain doom or like whatever it is like having that kind of stuff i think will add 
a lot to it and um and and guess what you can you can put the arrows pointing the right direction because you can edit the back and the front separately separately (laughs) you can and you can dye the front and the back separately that surprised me i knew that you could edit them separately i didn't know you could dye them separately because as i was messing around with those those little effects on those signs for west hill this weekend i noticed that you could dye them separately which i thought was really interesting uh the the thing that i also noticed immediately because of all the experimentation that has to happen when you're editing those signs. I kind of had to position myself so that I could see the editing interface for the sign, but then also see the sign in the real world in that grayed out, kind of like it's got a a black kind of overlay over the rest of your view. Because I wanted to see where the the, uh, characters were going in relation to the image that I had put on the sign. And so I needed to see both at the same time. But you know what's great? (laughs) Editing signs. Because if you get it wrong, you don't have to delete the thing and start over again. You can just go back in and go, I'm going to move this one space to the left and see how that looked. Oh, that wasn't it. I'll move it one space to the right. That was great. In and out of the signs. Same with regular signs. So not just hanging signs, but like messing around with that kind of stuff and trying to get effects. It's such a quality of life improvement to not have to break a sign every time you either mess up or you try something and it doesn't look good and then you got to put it back the way that it was and all of it involves like copying and pasting and moving stuff it, like just it's so nice in that way i thought it was a very very good addition uh, in terms of quality of life to be able to edit those signs um the text and the characters on hanging signs are not center justified correctly it's oh. more not yeah it's more noticeable <laughs> if you fill the entire line like if you just put dashes or periods or whatever for me i noticed it on those vertical lines that i had running down the edges of the sign they're not equal distance from the edge of the sign one side is closer than the other uh so that i found was was difficult um a lot of this you're going to experience if you're doing any kind of graphical texture or, or or text imagery on signs if you're just typing the west hill inn down the middle it's going to look centered like it's not going to look too too far off because it's not near the edges where you can tell um but i i feel like when i something that i do on regular signs is i'll put two small case o's and then i'll put spaces in between them until they hit the edge of the sign and then i'll copy and paste that down to the bottom and it looks like four nails in the corner of Mm -hmm. of each part of the sign and you can't do that on hanging signs because one they're off center. So it doesn't, it looks like someone nailed it too close to one side and then not close enough to the other. <laughs> Which could be a desirable effect if you're looking for it like could na- be. naturalistic, yeah. like medieval carpenter doesn't know his left from his right kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But when you reduce the space, it doesn't, it doesn't, it makes it less noticeable, but it doesn't balance it out. And then the other thing is that the font size is larger or appears larger. I shouldn't say that. The font size might be the exact same, but because the sign is smaller, those lowercase O's look like saucers. Like they're much larger. I guess proportionately to the sign, so they no longer look like nails; they look like circles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they are the text size being like a little yeah. larger. Yeah, there's that little trick there. So that that I thought was a little bit of a of a hang up. Uh, also, as you're adding these signs to your builds, like you think, oh yeah, it's a dark oak build. I'll add a dark oak sign. Remember, it's a stripped dark oak sign, so it's not going to be the same color as your very saturated dark oak planks or maybe the bark. So there are some some signs that are harder to work with than others uh i mean dark oak signs in general it's hard to read anything you put on them unless you change the color of the yeah. the imagery so yeah. that's a challenge um but then the uh jungle wood sign has a lot of green in it because the stripped jungle log has a lot of green in it. it's a very unique block 
And so if you want that to look like it's part of a building that has jungle wood planks, it looks very strange because it's got all this green in it. It's like, that doesn't really work at all. So I found that when I was working with anything that had jungle wood in it, instead of a jungle wood sign, I tended to use like a spruce sign or something that would match maybe the trim of the building as opposed to the jungle wood in the building because I, I didn't find that the jungle wood played all that nice. Um, one of the biggest lessons I learned was that you can't hang signs with two chains on anything that has an inventory or requires you to press shift like a trapdoor. Because the function of pressing shift when you hang a sign gives you that V-shaped chain, that yeah, upside right. down V-shaped chain, instead yeah. of the two instead of the two chains uh, parallel to one another, which means if you have a barrel and you want to hang a sign underneath it, you can't if you want to hang it the proper way, which is the, the two chains. Uh, you have to put in a temporary block, place the sign against the side of the temporary block and meet halfway in the middle. And you have that little plank that the sign hangs from. Mm -hmm. Now, the cool thing about a hanging sign on a block sideways, that might be the, not the best way to say that, but the cool thing about having a, a sign attached to the side of a block, when you delete that block, the sign hovers in the air like a floating candle. Whereas a sign hanging under something will fall off just like a regular sign um, when you delete that block. So the way around being unable to put a sign under a barrel is to hang the, the sign on the side of a block under the barrel. So it looks like it's hanging from the barrel, but it's really not. So it's like, it's a little bit tricky and it's unfortunate because like, if you had a really cool idea to put like a roof of, uh, of blast furnaces and you want to hang signs from it for some reason, you can't, if you want it to have that parallel chain, you have, it has to be the V chain, right? Yeah. So that, I, that I thought was odd. I'm wondering if you can finesse it and you know, the way how sometimes if you break a block of gravel and place a torch underneath it at just the, like at the same tick, basically that you're breaking the block, um, like it, the gravel doesn't fall. I'm kind of wondering if you can like Indiana Jones it a little bit and and swap out the block that you're trying to that you're hanging the sign from for another block or if it just breaks instantly in the same game. You'd have to be a lot faster than me because I'm pretty sure it broke in the same game tick because I tried that. I tried, right, I tried yeah. to swap it. Uh, Where you like hold down it. the break and yep. place buttons at the same time. Yeah, okay, yep. cool. Just, just check that. in. Like it, it, yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing where um the other th the other thing I would try is pushing it with a piston. Like if you're if you're like mm, maybe maybe mm -hmm. even like zero ticking it, so you place a button on the side of a piston, so it pops off in the same like and and it just goes shink and it like pushes it over that way. That could be worth a try, but you couldn't do it with barrels because they're containers. So right. again, you yeah. you run into problems there. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm just workshopping ideas now yeah. for like it, how can Joel get the details he wants? And and even and even just something as simple as like oh that's a really cool spot. I think I'll put. I think I'll put a hanging sign there. And you're like, oh, that's a trap door. I have to, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. You can still do it. It's just that you have to add in another block or two first and then delete them after. Like it, it becomes yeah. a little bit more of a, of a, of a hurdle to get over. Now on the plus side with the hanging signs attached to the side of a block, there is more to them. There's more to the model. They have that extra plank at the top. Yeah. So you get more depth, you get more detail in your model. So like there are pluses to it, but I did I did find it very strange that it just eliminated like anything that you have to hold shift on or anything that is a container. You just, you can't hang a sign from it the same way that you, you can other things. You can hang a sign, you just have to make sure that you want it to have that upside down V-shaped chain. Um, so that, that was one thing. 
Um, I, I'm there's there's lots of other ideas for hanging signs. I haven't really thought about any kind of modern use for them. But as far as like the medieval stuff, I've kind of gone around the gambit and they seem to be very flexible. And, and the fact that they come in all the right colors and all that kind of stuff is pretty cool. Um, I don't know if it's just the fact that we're dealing with the stripped signs, but I found and this is more of a sign and and die feedback in general, but I found that the white dye is not white and i know it never really has been but because if you put a, a, a white dye on a dark oak sign because it's a dark oak plank sign it shows up a lot better on the stripped texture that's on the dark oak hanging sign though uh it's not quite as obvious that the, the contrast is not as high and it feels pretty muddy and i i used a, a feather as the image on my west hill inn uh, that has some white in it and the Westall in text is dyed white and it's barely the same color as some of the darker gray in the feather and it shows up okay in vanilla graphics but the moment that you add shaders like the texture for the text just disappears like it's, it's very very difficult to see it is there but it's very much kind of uh, in with all the grays and the the muddy color that happens on the stripped spruce sign i think i think i should say not not dark oak it's a spruce sign um so there are some things that are tricky about the hanging signs that people that are used to regular signs may have to kind of like learn how to work with or i'm very curious to see like which hanging sign is going to come forefront as the favorite i tended to use a lot of the oak because i found that the spruce sign was a little bit too blah like it just it th there wasn't enough contrast between either the writing on it or the sprite that i was trying to put next to it and i found that the oak sign tended to stand out more and so where spruce trapdoors are my favorite the oak sign seemed to be the one that i used them the most but i'm curious that one weekend you know, like i'm curious as as the 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 update progresses i'm curious to see what people kind of are using most and see what kind of rises as the zeitgeist in terms of uses for hanging signs yeah yeah i feel like oak is a good balance it's pretty readable but also like doesn't look like day one oak wood the way that like using oak planks or oak Agreed. logs does in builds yep. so yep. i think stripped wood does wonders for the sign texture in general i think it's Absolutely. really good that they they ended up using that texture yeah and these are all nitpicks like it's all very positive in general i mean again going right back to the editing signs it's so good it's so yeah. good to be able to edit mm -hmm. signs like it's it's such a great thing it, it allows so much more flexibility and i think encourages experimentation to do different things with signs when they're not as much of a pain in the butt to work with i yeah. think that it encourages like just because it is a sign doesn't mean you have to use it as a sign like you said like you were using it as like an alternate to a fence or a, or a railing or something right yeah have you waxed any of your signs yet to make sure that you don't accidentally edit them or that people can't come through and edit them because that's another thing that i forget you can do but you can absolutely lock signs using honeycomb i haven't because i tend to change my mind a lot on this kind of stuff as i'm experimenting and using them and plus there's only four of us on the server and if anybody else changes it i'm gonna find out who <laughs> like <laughs> sure just... yeah you're gonna i i will i will track you down i will change all of your signs to say you suck um yeah but that's um that's probably where we'll wrap things up for this episode of the spawn chunks if you're as hung up on hanging signs as we are then of course we would love to hear from you and you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com 
The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live if you're around when we record it every Monday. We have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up, and of course, some quarterly hangouts where we talk about the behind-the-scenes facts and figures of the podcast will be coming up soon as well. We have gained two patrons since last week. We're currently at 310, but there is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. A personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is available on the Patreon page. That is where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft survival guide is currently in its third season, and this week is Structures Week. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm up to online is at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream almost every day. I've got Minecraft most of the week, Satisfactory on Wednesdays, and Lego on Fridays. And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm working on Ecto-1, the Ghostbusters vehicle. And it is easily one of the more complicated and cool Lego builds I have ever made. So check it out on Fridays at twitch.tv slash joelduggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and who ruined these ruins anyway?